Welcome to the Back to Back Pod on the Athletic Podcast Network. This is Nerder She Wrote with your host, Dave Dufour, with Mo DeKeel and Seth Hartnell. Are you ready to be entertained? Hello and welcome to another episode of Nerder She Wrote, the first one of 2020. Happy New Year, everybody. Uh, I've got Mo DeKeel and Seth Partnow joining me, as always. What's up, fellas? What's up? Happy New Year's, folks. New decade, roaring 20s. Let's go. No, that's You're a year early, Mo. I don't care. No, no, no let's not. Let's not. <laughs> we don't need to do all that. I don't care. I don't care this whole thing, math or whatever. It's the roaring 20s. Let's go. Stop ruining the fun day. Listen, Jeez. hey, Larry Kuhn has decided... But the decade doesn't start until 2021, and uh, you know I got to go let with me, my guy. Let me let me put it to you this way, Dave. We were what like 15 seconds into the podcast, and you're already being anti-fun. Thanks. Oh, Good job. God. Oh god. Anyway, uh, speaking of fun, uh, we haven't done a mailbag before uh, with this with this group, and I thought it'd be a great time to do one. Why not start the new year off with a New Year's mailbag? And uh, we got a lot of questions, so I want to jump right in. Uh, but I'm going to start with Seth first, because this is a question from me. Um, I saw you, you oh. tweeted about how you don't really like net rating as an indicator. I actually look at it all the time, and I say, I mean, this is a, you know, this net rating, you expect to win X number of games, and it's pretty close. It's not, it's not perfect, right? Like, it's quick and dirty. But why are you kind of out on team net rating? I'm not out. I think it's a good indicator in general. I think at the top end, um, you know, you say, oh, they have the best, they have the second best net rating in the league, therefore. And the thing that I'm sort of noticing, and this is what I was tweeting about earlier today, is even amongst elite teams, there's a pretty big spread in how bad they beat up on the bad teams, right. not in terms of their record, but just in terms of the net rating. Like as of right now, the, uh, the, this year's Bucks are have a plus twenty point four um, average net rating in games against bottom ten teams. That's the highest of the last fifteen years. By uh, the, the the previous high for a full season is sixteen fifteen point six, uh, which was the twelve thirteen Thunder. And you know, I don't think that's a you know that's that I don't think that's a meaningful difference in in how good those teams are beating you know the 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 Cavaliers by 32 as opposed to 19 I don't I don't think that I don't think that's a that, that's in any way a relevant uh, indication of team strength as far as how they will do in the playoffs go and it's and on that's on one end of why kind of again at the top end of, of which team is the best I'm less certain of it is before is you know these you can kind of pick your score against the 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 really bad teams and then you know you have load management working in at the other end so it's not you know last year's raptors overall and you know obviously they made trades too which complicated further uh but they uh um you know Kawhi's missing 15 20 games just not playing right that it's not a, it's not a, a pure indicator of how good they are how they'll look in the playoffs. So, I mean, do you have a suggestion on, on just a quick indicator or like, do we need an adjusted net rating where we, where we like take out garbage time? Like, you know, Hey, if you know, if you blow out a team that's, you know, below 40% win percentage, uh, it only, you know, if you blow them out by 20, it only counts as 15. Like, 
how would you like just for something easy to look at? Wow, that team is amazing. I think it's still probably the best quick indicator. Um, you can do a lot of math to come up with some of these sure. adjustment adjustments and whatnot. It's just the kind of the faith you should put in the differentiation between a team that's plus six and plus nine is more limited than you might. Okay. Those teams are both really good. And if they should happen to meet in the playoffs, that is not necessarily the indicator I would look at as to which team is more likely to win or not. Okay. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Can I ask, let me, so I'm assuming the same goes for point differential. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's same, same I mean, concepts. Yeah, a net rating basically just it, it's point differential scale to pace. Right. So gotcha. you're, you're not you know, you're not getting bonus points for, you know, playing five possessions faster. So you beat the you beat the terrible team by two more points. Yeah. Yeah. OK, that's that yeah. my only contribution to that question. Yeah. I, I, I again, I, I like, you know, having you as a resource is really nice because I know that you are like a, a, a no BS stats guy, like analytics guy. Uh, and so I really was just curious about that because I was like, oh, man, I hope I'm not, you know, doing anything wrong. I mean, if Seth doesn't like it, there's got to be a reason. So, all right, I, let's let's jump into uh, the listener questions. Um, I want to I'm going to start with this one because I thought it was was really interesting uh, from uh, from Jared Miku, friend of the program. Um, this, so we talk a lot about all right, the Warriors next year. They're going to have Steph. They're going to have Clay. You know, Draymond. Uh, we also usually bring up those guys being a year older, right? There's a lot of assumptions about what they're going to do with D'Angelo Russell. So his his question: What do you guys think the Warriors is are really going to look like next year uh, as far as role players? Which I think that like that's a very interesting question because a lot of the the early greatness, the non Kevin Durant greatness, was because they had such high end role players. Yeah, I think. You know, listen, I don't think they're going to have the level of role players that they had before KD got there. Right. Like Harrison Barnes is a high level role player like these. I don't think they have that there, but they got interesting guys. Eric Pascal, all of these guys have played really well. Um, I think they're they're kind of reloading the cupboard a bit. And I think that it's it's going to look good. They just you know, there might be an adjustment for some of these guys in terms of how to play when Steph and Clay are on the court. You know, and and in that sense, but I don't think it'll be a difficult adjustment. I think it'll kind of, I think it'll look out, it'll work out pretty well. And you know, kind of referring to this year as the gap year for the for the Warriors, it's. I mean, it, it feels that way. I feel like they're going to be a stronger team next year because of what they've because of what they've been able to kind of go through with their guys this year. Because we always talk about it. Most important thing about development is in game playing time and reps, and all these guys are getting it for almost the entire season. Uh, I I think I disagree completely, um, the, uh, on multiple points there. Sorry, Mo. That's but, a first. Uh, That's a um, first that you're no, disagreeing uh, with Mo. I'm just kidding. I uh, no, I you know, I, it's it's it, from my perspective, it's not totally clear. Like the the value of game reps on development itself isn't totally clear. Um, it's certainly it's very useful from an evaluation standpoint. But that aside, um, I don't think we we have any real sense of what like pascal will look like as as a role player on a high-end team i think that there's a couple things going on here first of all like 
I think once a team becomes sort of a public team, if you will, and you know, in other sports, you may eat like the Cowboys or the Yankees or something like that. Um, they're kind of their their non-star players tend to take on an extra shine. I mean, I think we see that with oh, yeah. you know the amount of uh, of you know a player I think we all like Alex Caruso probably has a higher profile in 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 areas than he his his level of play deserves because he's a Laker. Yeah, but if he was um, on Indiana think, though, oh my God, it'd be even worse. Uh, he'd be, okay. he'd sorry, also be. A tw- he, I mean, he'd be TJ McConnell. Making a joke. I, yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. You're right. No, no. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. So, so I think so. There, there's there's that going on. So that oh, you know, you, the the guys who show competence for the Warriors, even though this isn't like a real team. This isn't their real team at all. This is this is almost. I don't want to be dismissive and say the the JV squad, but it's not like no one on that team, aside from maybe Draymond, is playing a role they will play on a playoff team. And I don't think we right. really know. Like, is 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 Pascal an NBA player? Yes. Is he has he shown in any way that he can be a top eight guy on a contending level team? I don't think so. Right. Because um, I don't well, think he, he hasn't shown he hasn't, but right. he hasn't. He hasn't shown the 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 kind of range of skills that would indicate he'd be much higher than that. So I just I don't think we know. Well, let I me don't ask think we're you. really hold learning on. much. No, 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 no. Hold on, hold on. I got to push back on a few things because I wholeheartedly disagree on playing time isn't an important part of development or in that sense of it doesn't give us a sense, dude. That is the biggest thing, Seth, in my opinion, because we've seen so many guys who kill it in practice. That when you put them out on the court, when it's time to play and it's time to hoop, totally crap the bed. Like, it's not even close. Dude, we've seen so many guys who can hit shots in the practice gym. When the lights come on, they can't do it. It's a big difference, and it matters. And getting those reps in are important. Like, there's no way to go around it. Like, I don't think that's – honestly, if you ask development guys, it's not even debatable. So that like this is a it's a huge key ingredient in a developing player. So I think these guys getting reps, allowing the coaching staff, allowing the front office to kind of get an understanding and an evaluation of these guys of what they do on the court. It's critical for them next year. I think it's it, it plays into it and then they can start putting these guys in different parts. And maybe you're right. And maybe they agree with you. And Pascal's not a top eight guy in the rotation cool, then they can try to find a way to, to ship him off and get an asset for him or something. But this is a huge part of it. This whole season for them is like a, almost a development year and you get to see what everybody can do. And I think that's, it, it, it's going to make, it's going to pay dividends for them next year. It, these guys aren't going to play the same roles like Pascal Siak, or I'm sorry, Eric Pascal is not going to be shoot, get, uh, what is it? 11 shots a game next year. No, he's not. I mean, not with clay and Curry and everybody healthy and things like that. But they need to be able to see what he can do and where they can try to fit him in and how he fits in that offense. And that's not something you can just do in practice. You got to see how he responds in games. And it, next year is going to be a little bit different for these guys, but they're going to they're going to have to figure it out. And that's going to be a challenge. But this is a big part of it. I, I just you know, we're definitely on two sides of the aisle on this one. I, I think that uh, I, I don't think. Can I can I? Yeah. Re, can I yeah. can I retort, please? Yeah. No, I think I. I like listening to what you're saying. I don't think we're actually disagreeing totally. Like I completely agree with you that in terms of seeing where a guy is, that playing time is super valuable in terms of him actually getting to a certain point. 
I, the evidence is less clear to me. Does that make sense? Like, yes, you need to see how good he is in a game. Does the game, does getting him in the game make him better or is it the work you do outside? And then the game is sort of the report card. It's no, um, it's, it's, it, it, but see, that's the thing. Like the, the, the game is the test, right? Like all the work you do yes. in the gym, the game is the test and that's how, you know, and then you yes. see like, oh, wow. Like I have to be more prepared for this, you know, one that, so we got to go back to the, the practice court and I got to start working on these a little bit better and, and get better at this part or, or reacting differently or things like that. Like it's such a, it, yeah, I'm. I'm done. Yeah. No, I, so, I, listen, I, listen, there's, I, a, there's no, another I agree, no, benefit. I agree with you on that point. I, I like, I, I definitely like, as far as the, the test and the report card, I agree with you on that. I'm just saying like, I, I, there, there isn't, a, there isn't evidence, strong evidence either way that I'm aware of that, like, you know, force feeding a guy minutes early in his career helps or hurts his development. That's more where I'm coming from. Right, but there's a sense? benefit for the team and it's juking stats yes. and adding value. Or, well, or just or I mean, just getting a, a sense of the guy before well, you have to right. start making decisions on yeah, it from a contract got, standpoint. Uh, like we talked about before, you get to actually see that stuff first and then make a decision. But, like, I mean, I go back to the Michael Carter-Williams trade all the time. His stats looked fantastic, and, you know, you just – it takes one yeah, sucker. Not really. They, they look, they look <laughs> I mean, pretty good. High I mean, pace, no, the, like the counting the, stats the, is what I meant. Yeah, the counting stats. That's what yeah, I'm well, saying. It only takes one sucker to say, wow, look, yeah. you know, this guy, you know, 10, 7, and 6 or whatever he was doing, you know, as a rookie. I don't remember. Uh, and, and, you know, that there is value in that also. I mean, it's the Billy Bean closer thing. Oh, this guy's got a lot of saves. Yeah. Let me trade him and, you know, rob somebody. And, and I think that so there's value there. But back to the question, what are they going to look like role player wise? I think that there's a chance because they'll have Steph, Clay, and Draymond. Uh, the organization takes care of veterans. They, you know, like, you know, treat these guys well. There's a good chance you might see guys ring chasing and and go sign up, you know, on one year deals like we saw. It's not the guaranteed trip to the finals that it was, but it. I don't know. It might not be far off. How do you, you guys think that that's that's still an option for them? I think that there are there are likely two other very strong teams in California yeah. that uh, that will be competing for those services. And um, I don't know what what the, the what kind of stuff the Mavs who seem like they might be a, a coming team uh-huh. like that's you know, that's um, it, there's no obvious ring chaser. There's no one obvious ring chaser spot. I'll put it that way. Right. And it's and and you know depending on how things shake out, just in terms of uh, like a, a quote ring chaser spot where there are rotation minutes available, um, the Lakers probably still look like the the spot where there's an, an easier way to get into rotation spots just because they have of or those teams to have the most yeah. holes. Yeah, and you know who knows how that will shake out. You know, ed- heading into this trade deadline and next off season, obviously, yeah. but. And yeah. I mean, and let's not forget, this is a front office and ownership group that likes to take big swings. Um, so they, you know, they, as Ethan uh, wrote about on the athletic, they're probably <sighs> going to be looking to, you know, package some stuff. They've got, they're going to have a high draft pick unless they, you know, keep messing up and winning uh, and, and try to get somebody. So 
you know, you never know. I mean, I, I think that that's actually one of the reasons why the NBA offseason is so compelling is because it's it just seems like there there are surprises every summer. So, uh, all yeah, right, I want to move on to the next question because I mean, we took a lot of time on that. Well, uh, well but like I said, I asked, thought it was a really interesting question. Somebody asked a question since we touched on Dallas. Right? Oh, okay. Like I, I had it in my Perfect. in my mention somewhere. Um, uh, Fidor, I don't know how to say your name, bro. Sorry, dude. I'm, and that's just the life you're going to have to live. Uh, will Dallas face the same fate as Houston if they enter the playoffs with the same offense when Luca holds the ball the entire time? Is it easy for defenses to game plan for for him? Kind of, you know, Ooh. high usage player, yeah, heavy pick and roll. Like I. You know, it's it's interesting because we saw how they played when Luca was out. Right. You know, like I thought that was four losses. Like, I'm just going to be honest. But, you know, Jalen Brunson really stepped up like they had Seth Curry really playing well. Yeah. Porzingis had a, a great run during that stretch. So what's your guys' thoughts just on that? Well, I want to I want to let the professor of helocentrism. Take take the first crack at it, because, I mean, <laughs> I have an opinion, but <laughs> Um, I like, I think that even though they run offenses through a single guy a lot, I don't think Dallas's offense is nearly as static as, um, Houston's. So yeah, you know, you probably know Luca's going to try to do something probably out of a pick and roll, but they do so much different stuff to, you know, get it off movement and, you know, run a pistol set. And then he comes up from the baseline and they, you know, set a chip screen in and then they get movement. And so there's, you know, I think it's a little harder to plan for how to defend those things if they're coming at you from multiple different angles and wrinkles and, 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 and stuff like that. And then Luca is just, you know, it's such a, such a, even in their, you know, that the game they lost to the Lakers on, on Sunday, that was, was that Sunday? Was that Monday? Was I Sunday. don't even know what yeah, day Sunday, of the week it Sunday. is. Um, you know, the, the, they didn't make any shots, but coming off right. the pick and roll, he was still just paying the ball all over the place and they were getting good looks from it. Um, and I think I mean the Lakers are a pretty good defensive team, they, and so, they were great in that game. And he still he, they were getting looks, but they just weren't dropping. Yeah, yeah, they shot yeah. like thirty six percent, I think overall. So I think I mean I don't think that the problem Dallas is going to have in the playoffs, and also just think about where we're moving the goalpost. Where I don't right. know where we were as a group. I I, I didn't, didn't have Dallas yeah. in the playoffs. I didn't have him in the playoffs. In the of the season. None of us did. Well, I think all three of us. Nobody yeah. expected yeah. this out of Luca. I, like I thought he could get here. Year four, year five, year two. This is this is ridiculous. Yeah, um, but, but so we're, we're talking. If I can about, piggyback on your point, like I, yeah. I think that this is this is where I am too. Carlisle's offense and and even Luca, it, it's not as much standing around as you think. Like it's not just standing pounding the leather off the ball with nothing happening, like you see in Houston. Uh, I mean, their first possession against the Lakers because you know knowing that they're going to come out and try to take away Luca. Uh, Luca goes into a, a dribble handoff with, uh, I think it was, uh, with Tim Hardaway Jr. Runs an Iverson cut to the opposite wing, catch and shoot wide open three. He just missed, but it was like that kind of stuff. Like they're going to get him his looks one way or the other. Uh, but the cuts to the basket that that team is able to pull off because they're five out and not posting up for Zingas, uh, like the lane is wide open and they get a lot of stuff going to the hoop. And, and you know, th- that Seth Curry passed to Luca the other day, you know, was a classic example of it. Yeah. Uh, I just wanted to throw that out there just cause I thought it was an interesting question. I think that it, it, it's my complaint about the Rockets offense. 
Yeah. Sure, though. It's just like so, you I, have you have D'Antoni. He runs a lot. He has the ability to he has a lot of creative stuff in his bag. They just don't use it. And it frustrates me. So just a quick stat to throw out there, like the, in terms of per game time of possession, Harden and Luca are two and three. Uh, however, Luca holds the ball almost half over half a second less on each touch and has almost a full dribble less every time he touches the ball. So, you know, I, I haven't broken those down like in depth to see, but that's I think that kind of is a, is a slight indicator, at least that, you know, Luca will get off the ball faster. And as Dave was saying, he'll move or he'll move himself more. And so there's just there's a little bit more going on. And Dallas is, you know, under Carlisle, Dallas has always had a lot of kind of intricate stuff going on. Mm-hmm. And that's how this is still a I think a, a you know, they've they've one of the best offenses in the league. Uh, and the with I would say we, we would agree reasonably limited overall offensive talent. Yeah. And yeah. so I think you have to say scheme plays like Luca's greatness and scheme like are playing a lot into that. So they have some stuff going on to, to make things easier. And right. so if they, the, but to, to bring it to a point, if they struggle in the playoffs, it's going to be about their relative dearth of talent, not their right. system failing. Yeah. I, I so what's your, they're my favorite team. I, I want them to get Fournier. They're my favorite team to get Fournier. I feel like he could really help them a lot. I mean, and what, <laughs> why would you wish that on someone? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, uh, but but especially like Carlisle is so good. Look at what he's done with with the guards that he's had the last few years, you know, and now he's got like these high end guards. I'd love to see him with another guy who could kind of do some stuff. And I think Fournier compliments uh, Luca really, really well. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. All right. So I want to go from there straight to the, this question from Jeff Koenig. Um who wins coach of the year? Now, he said Spolstra or Stevens. I think Carlisle's got to be in the conversation. I feel like Vogel's got to be in the conversation. And and probably Bud, because they're going to win 60-something games. Bud won it last year, right? Yeah, and I know they don't yes. like to do it two years in a row. Yeah. I mean, I think I – think- if usually coach the year is kind of the team that exceeded expectations. Mm -hmm. And so it often is, is like a team that just like won all their close games. Right. Um, which right now is kind of Miami. Um, but also they're just better and, and Dallas is just better than, than we got, we thought they would, um, I, I did see some people picking down. Like I remember Zach Lowe had Dallas, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, had Dallas third in the East preseason, which I was, I thought was a big call. And then seeing them kind of uh, early in the season, like, Oh, they they are pretty good. Um, sorry. Did so, you say you meant Miami, right? Miami third in the East. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Sorry. Did, uh, you said Dallas I said, and I got confused. It was, uh, <clears throat> we were watching no, I, I meant, my, I meant Miami. No, I All meant right. Miami. Um, thank you. Um, so, but I think that those are, that's, that's a, that's a good list, but I think the teams that are kind of exceeding expectations most right now, are Miami and Dallas. Yeah, I think those those are two. Uh, probably this one might get me in a little bit of trouble. I think Vogel's got to get a look. You know, yeah. I know they've struggled a bit lately, but like, you well, know, coming out of the gate. Too. Yeah, but coming out of the gate, nobody expected them. I mean, they had a top defense for a while. They were they were killing it early. Like nobody kind of expected that. And I think you got to give some credit there to to Frank Vogel, I don't. I know he's probably not going to win it because everybody's just going to say, "Yeah, AD and LeBron, you should be, and you should be one of the better teams with that." But uh, I think he should get a mention there too, as as well. We talk a lot about physical fitness 
But there's another side to the game that's just as important. I'm talking about mental fitness. Calm, the number one app for sleep and meditation, has teamed up with LeBron James to help you train your mind. LeBron and Calm know that your mind is like any other muscle in your body, and Calm can help you train your brain so you sleep better, have less stress, and perform at your best. For LeBron, sleep is an important part of his mental fitness routine. He says, getting good sleep and finding time to rest is one of the most valuable things I can do for my body and mind. So if you head to calm.com slash back, that's calm.com slash back, you'll get 40% off a Calm premium membership. With Calm, you have access to the nature scenes LeBron loves to hear, like rain on leaves and the ocean, so much more. Sleep stories, meditations, and things like that. For a limited time, our listeners can join LeBron in using Calm with a 40% discount on an annual membership at calm.com slash back. Unlock content to help you focus, ease stress, and sleep better. Get started at calm.com slash back. That's calm.com slash back. Okay, uh, this is uh, from Aubrey Fitzhenry. Uh, he actually asked this on my weekly Q&A. It's a really... It's a funny question to ask just because, you know, like we all probably spend too much time on Twitter. Um, would anything. Dis- I have thoughts on this one. So. Yeah, I know. Would anything disrupt more narratives and anger NBA Twitter more than the Rockets winning the title with Harden, Russ, Mike D'Antoni and Daryl Morey? And that is like the four horsemen of the basketball apocalypse. Go Those ahead, four Seth. guys. So, yeah, Seth, like I want to hear. Okay, so this is this is there's a there's a a more than a little bit, and I'm like Harden, Westbrook, D'Antoni, put them aside with the the degree of and and probably also putting the China stuff aside because this way predates that. Um, there's a lot of kind of the cool kids making fun of the 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 the, the nerdy kid uh, in terms of how people. Um, respond to Maury. And it's, it's in many ways, uh, it, it, um, unsurprisingly hits a little close to home, uh, for me, Why is that? (laughs) um, uh, um, but I think it's a little bit gross. And so I, um, like the people who would be upset because it was Maury winning a championship are people I would be glad to see be upset. And I'll, I think I'll just Leave it at that. Yeah. So, you know, it's funny. Um, analytics guys are painted with this like arrogant brush. And outside of a couple of exceptions, I, I mean, and mostly, I, I got to say, it's mostly not guys that worked for teams or work for teams. It's mostly uh, Twitter analytics guys um, who act like it's the be all end all. And none of the analytics guys that I know that work for teams or have worked for teams feel that way. I mean, Daryl Morey is a ba- he's a basketball guy. The guy knows basketball. Seth Partnow is a basketball guy. The guy knows basketball. So like that whole narrative, I yeah, it would destroy parts of NBA Twitter. But I think yeah. that the Russell Westbrook part would destroy the other part. <laughs> right? Like <laughs> it, this is this is it would just be like uh, I test I'm, Twitter and analytics Twitter would spontaneously combust 
it would almost be like I'm now picturing a post apocalyptic. Yeah, I can't say apocalyptic yeah. world of of NBA Twitter where that would happen and just people roaming through like it's like Mad Max or something like that uh, <laughs> with their, with their hot takes and things like that. But I want to go back to kind of what Seth said about Maury real quick. You know the thing too that I don't think Maury gets enough credit for like one. Being very innovative, always trying to find the competitive advantage. I mean, they were shooting a ton threes more than every before everybody else, just because he he saw the numbers and and was advanced on that stuff, you know. And and you, you guys know how I feel about that stuff. But you know, it's it's his job to kind of find those things. But more importantly, too, like when everybody was kind of like, well, this is the Warriors' run. Like, we're not going to go for it this year. Like, I always appreciated that Morey was like. Nah, screw that, dude. Like, we're yes. taking those guys down. Like, I always appreciated that attitude of like, no, I'm going to build this team to beat the Warriors, you know? And like, now maybe he got a little bit too obsessive, almost like uh, Captain Ahab trying to chase his white whale. But like, I appreciated that he was like, nah, man, this thing ain't over yet. Like, just because they're there, we're going to be better than them. And 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 I always appreciated that kind of aspect of it from him as a, as a GM and kind of just not willing to just concede. So, you know, I think he kind of gets what Seth said. He kind of gets painted a, uh, with a bad brush with the I love it. Seth, yeah. cool kids making fun of uh, the, the, the nerdy kid or whatever, you know, like I just think like it's 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 an unfair thing in that regard. In terms of if they win the, if the Rockets so win the a, championship, oh, if the Rockets win the championship, man, Brody and the Beard's going to be on fire, and I'm going to be getting killed because the amount of times I'm like, this team can't win a championship. Well, so you know, Daryl Daryl should be like a fan favorite GM. Like every NBA fan should want him to be the GM of their team. He managed to build a, a team that was one game from the finals that literally like just ran into one buzzsaw team over and over again. Uh, without tanking, I mean, he was, he was always taking a big swing for the fences. Like, I, I mean, I, I sound like this, like Daryl fanboy, but like the truth is like, that's what we want. We don't want, I mean, you know, I Hanky's working the system, but we don't want that. Like we want people to try to win every single game all the time and they do it. I, I just, yeah, but it would be amazing. Go ahead, sir. Um, and I just, the, the last, the last point on that is like, not to turn this into a referendum is, uh, he should be a fan favorite because you see it in other sports. Like you see, uh, look at the, you know, uh, this is not a football podcast, but look at, 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 uh, at John Harbaugh in, in Baltimore. It's like, right. okay, conventional wisdom is we don't go for it. No, we're, we're, we're doing it differently. And, and here's why. And if you don't like it, screw you. And like that in, in Daryl is kind of, okay, that's not the way it's done. Why isn't it the way it's done? Well, the reason it's not done that way is dumb so we're gonna do it that way yeah and that that engenders a lot of pushback but if you're a fan of a team you should want your guy to be well why does that make sense to not do it that way what why what are we doing no let's try something that should be what you want um and so but instead it's turned into like i said earlier it's like oh look at the look at this nerd and that's that's you know that's how you you get you know group think stifling yep. innovation and 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 rigid sameness and that's bad. Right. So and yeah. so putting away the soapbox now. I'm I've my I'm I've that does that count as my me yelling at Cloud for that's, this? Uh, that's your for this, yeah. this podcast. Not really because yeah. you know we yeah. all we you're all gonna, agree. You're gonna need the soapbox later, I'm sure. So don't don't put it too far away. Uh, <laughs> all right. All right. So uh, well, it's it's right here, but it, yeah. So all right, uh, another question. Um, 
this person is, has heard people say uh, that Paul George, I guess, called Damian Lillard's game winner from game five of that playoff series last year a bad shot. Um, was it a bad shot? Because, I mean, if you compare it to the game winner that Kawhi had to take against Philly, right? Like, tightly contested, moving to his right as a right-handed shooter. That's really, really hard. Um, that That's probably a more difficult shot than what Lillard took, I, I, I think. How do you guys feel? Was it a bad shot? Not for Dame. Right. Like that's I the mean, kind of yeah. shot. That's the, that's the kind of uh, shot. I mean, like, you know, was it ballsy? Yes. Like I'm watching him dribble the ball out and I'm like, uh, you're gonna you're gonna do something here? Like, what are you doing? And Paul George wasn't ready for it. It wasn't as tightly contested as as the uh Kawhi shot, but like I mean, this is the kind of shot that Dame's able to hit and hits during the regular season quite often so you know it wasn't like they put it this way it wasn't a bad shot but it's not also a good shot it's not like i'm walking away going like that's the shot i want you know if i'm a coach you know you you just trust in dame and hope he's got it but um you know i i think it's in the middle for me yeah there's there's thing there's things you like about it and things you don't like about it i mean it's obviously would you like to get closer to the basket yes but but the if the ball is in the air with zeros on the clock right um in a, in a tie, game, tie game like you you also you also got what you want right like that's um from a again from from you know the the stat the the math perspective like that's about the most important thing you can do in that situation actually is is to have the ball unless like you get a an open layup which you're probably not getting right. at that time is having the clock at zero zero while the ball's in the air because you, 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 you didn't just removing the chance of losing in regulation makes it a reasonably good shot. Like you're not worried about the long rebound, you know, and giving up a bucket in transition or letting them get a timeout timeout. And, and, you know, so just you, just in terms of a win probability standpoint, just removing the possibility of them getting a chance to tie if you make it or getting a chance to win if you don't, um, it is, it makes it a, a reasonably good shot beyond that. I think this is something I've written about before. Like you don't get good shots at, at, uh, right. in those situations. So relative to that situation, it's a fine shot. It's, I don't think it's again, I don't think it's a, it's a good shot, but it's not a terribly bad shot in, in those like super clutch situations. Yeah. And I think he was shooting like, uh, last year, from from like twenty, what was it like twenty eight and out feet? He was shooting like I don't know thirty six or thirty seven percent. I mean, it was he was on a run. Yeah, so. but he's career like thirty four. From he's I mean he's yeah. about the best. Like the only person with a significant number of attempts on very long threes who is who's made a higher percentage than him is Ryan Anderson. Yeah. Um. And and so he's about the best there is at those very long shots. And that's it. It he basically turns it into a slightly below league average shot. Um. So that's a pretty pretty decent shot in that situation. Um. Yeah. There was an element know. of like surprise there too. Like yeah. I mean, you know, Paul yeah. George's contest was late. Um. And, and but the biggest thing is getting that shot with no time left on the clock and you know like you literally are like okay we're either gonna win or we're going to overtime there is no yeah no chance you're gonna lose so yeah. and they're and they're at home no. too and you you, you kind of have the crowd rolling and, and going like i kind of i i was okay with it um but it was i'm i 
I'm glad he made it because that was freaking awesome. It was, it was amazing. It was it's the whole thing, the, the wave yeah. goodbye, the, the staring wave. at the camera, the pile, dog pile on him staring at the camera. Like, yeah, yeah, that was a memorable shot in the playoffs. Like that's something like that's what I love. So I'm glad he made it. I mean, but I just remember thinking at the time, I'm like, man, then them some big balls he got that, that dog pile and him looking at the camera would have made it on the NBA on NBC opening highlight montage like it was that like i think in nba right history, after the jordan yeah switch right his after hands. jordan shot over elo no then, or no, the jordan then, switch hands layup like it was that that is to me like it's one of the probably 50 best nba moments to me is that that aftermath and just how perfect dame was in that in that whole moment i loved that it was amazing and it like, broke the, yeah. and it broke the thunder it, oh, i mean <laughs> it ended a franchise I mean, it's just like they're like, all right. I mean, Paul George is like, all right, I got to get out of here. I can't win. Yeah. Then Russ leaves. Like it just kind of like they had to take a whole pivot after that. Like it's just an amazing. Well, and Sam, and then Sam Presti gets this like look like a wizard because of the you know the moves he got to make, uh, which is funny because you know a lot of the knock on Sam was like, well, of course he looks good. He got to draft Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook and James Harden. Right. But yeah, um, man, it is a great shot. I, I I think it's a good shot. As a as a choice, uh, given time and score, but all, I mean, one of my favorite shots ever. I, regardless of that, I don't think anyone should be like mad at Paul George. Like we, I think yeah. we've all played in we've we've all played in, you know pickup games or whatever where a guy tosses in something and you're like, right. that's some bullshit, right? And yeah, you, as absolutely. you're trudging off the court and, <laughs> right. and they have to wait for 25 minutes, yeah. like that's a, okay, great shot, but that's some bullshit, yeah. And, oh yeah. And so I oh, can't. Yeah. And now, and like you know, you're Paul George. I'm like, well, I, I I have to wait four months now. Right. That's some well, like, think about the I, like, difference. I can't, I'm not going to be mad at that. Well, think about the difference between uh, people people saying like Kyrie burned someone, and someone saying Kyrie got locked up. Right. It's all about whether he hits the the little flip shot or not. That's it. Like we we probably put a little bit too much emphasis on the on the actual result versus, you know, the process to get there. Like if Steph Curry hits that three over Kevin Love, you know, the one he actually got up, do we feel differently about the defense Kevin Love played? Right. We would this be talking is, about This the gets shot. me to one of – Mo and I talked about this on Twitter a little bit earlier this week. But this is um, – and I may have mentioned on this podcast before – an exercise that – if people for some reason are ever like going through like clips of shots or something like that, like cover the screen when the, when, before the ball gets to the rim yeah. and decide, decide from everything up to that, whether it was a good, a good offensive set or a good shot or something like that. And just because it, the, the outcome bias of whether the shot went in or not is so powerful and so hard to overcome that to really like train yourself to judge whether something's a good shot or not, you have to ignore the result. You, you know, it's funny, Seth, like we were having that conversation. My latest piece went out uh, this week and I actually have a set from Carlisle where Porzingis misses the shot. But I was like, yo, this is too good. Like I got to I got to put this play in, you know, because he got him an open look, dude, just right. missed a shot to, to go with what yeah. you say. And, and and I'm sure my editors probably won't allow me to get away with it, but I want to I might try to start doing is just kind of cutting the clip just before the whether the ball goes in or not. Oh, I, li- I, See, I like that. Because you're trying you know. to demonstrate the the process, not the result, right? Like the process is like the play is all process. So I, I like that. Yeah. So let me. So 
I got another question for you. This okay. is this is one of my fun ones that I saw that I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. But this is we're gonna go the Atlanta Hawks style here now. We're gonna we're gonna look at the Hawks. Okay. What do you think the Hawks should do in this at this trade deadline or in this offseason? They're gonna have a ton of money. There's not a ton of great free agents or anything like that, but they could probably get involved in trades. But what veterans do you guys think the Hawks could go after realistically to help get their young team together? And I want to pivot it. Do you get like a superstar? Do you try to kind of like fast forward or do you try to let this team grow? So kind of put that in your mind here a little bit. Like, how would you be trying to build the Hawks moving forward? We know Trey Young's kind of been frustrated lately. And, and we, you know, the John Collins thing obviously derailed the season to a large degree. But what are you guys seeing and, 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 and who would you like to see if you have a trade in mind for the for the Hawks? Well, there's a couple of things working like kind of against the Hawks, but maybe in their favor. One, there's not any superstars available. Like, there's nobody even close, I think, this summer that they could potentially overpay and, and hamper the team with a bad contract. Um, but also, they probably... You say that. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. But they probably should just, you know, like, if they feel like a good, like, a veteran presence on the team is important, you know, go get some, you know, one-year guys, whatever, this summer. Uh but like they probably are and should go ahead and be bad again next year, right? Like take your lumps and, you know, uh, try to get another good draft pick. Cause I mean, this is a super young team. I, you're not, it's not like you're going to sign Giannis in 2021, you know, let's be realistic. Uh, Atlanta for some reason doesn't really attract big time free agents. Um, yeah. I, I think that, uh, the, the path is sort of set for them rather than them getting to choose, if that makes sense. I think you said the the, the important thing you said is, you know, uh, them realizing where they are. I think a big part of why I've been kind of surprised at how much like this season has played like crisis in Atlanta because and and I think you know we've talked about this before. I know I've talked about this with uh, like in our in a conversation with uh, with Hollinger um, is they weren't they were never going to be good this year given no. you know who were they like you can't you can't I think John said this you can't play five twenty year olds and be good yeah the NBA is too good for right. that yeah. And and so I think that the fact that their expectations were somehow that they wouldn't be bad this year uh, has kind of made this a this season into more of a crisis than it should have been. It's like okay, you know, Trey Trey has has progressed about as well offensively, uh, defensively. That's a whole other thing, uh, about as well as we could hope. And beyond that, like John Collins missed twenty five games and Kevin Herter's ver- barely played. So. You know, the the season has kind of been wasted for reasons outside of our organizational control, Um, you know, depending on who's in charge of the supplements, I suppose. But um, so, you know, uh, rebooting a little bit is is kind of their. Yeah, I don't think there's any reason to rush. Like if you can get a good a good player like who's not in their already in their early 30s on a three year contract for reasonable money. Sure. Yeah. But like you don't have to. I don't think you have to. They have to chase. There's no need to hamstring yourself right now. Yeah. The only the only thing. Well, like first, like there was there was like a small segment of people who, who thought the Hawks had a chance. To, to be frisky and potentially in the playoff race. Now, that I thought was asinine at the time for everything you guys have said about the team. 
The one guy I think that's kind of interesting, and it's you know we gotta because Ethan had mentioned you know Towns being right unhappy. Like if there's a way you can find a way to pry Carl Anthony Towns. Now obviously we don't know. I don't know if Minnesota's moving him like that. There's a well, whole lot. He to just everything. signed a new like he just signed a contract. Yeah, yeah. 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 But like, like if you, you can know, find if, a way, if, if this I'm, whole yeah. thing real quick, this whole thing, and this is part of the Trey Young thing too, where it's like the guy signs a contract. Trey Young's the second season. Clock hasn't started yet. Like, I, I don't want to hear this. Well, the clock starts day one. No, it doesn't. We don't even know what Trey Young's going to be. Like, Trey Young, right. I think he's going to be a really great player. Um, he's he's fine right now. He's on his way. Um, but, like, that's not Steph Curry. You know, this is not like MVP season Steph Curry here, you know, complaining he needs some help. Like, this is a second-year player. Like, just pump the brakes just a little bit. Uh, the clock hasn't started. On, on no, no, he guy. might he might leave in six years. He right, might leave right. in six yeah. years if yeah. he, if he doesn't get help next year. Yeah. Right. So like yeah, this, there's on. there's a lot of that going on there. And and again, like w- what happens typically when you've got a team that has been bad, like the Hawks, that has young talent and then tries to rush. Like what normally happens? Oh no, I mean like when you is trying to skip steps is always a problem. Yep. But there's also you got to also kind of be aware of opportunities like. Listen, adding towns, it, far-fetched as it is, right? Like I'm not saying it's going to happen or anything like that. But adding a guy like Towns who's, again, like you guys were saying, in his 20s, it's not like he's an old, old head or anything like that kind of – and pairing him with Young would be interesting and would be a step. Like if that opportunity is available to them, you do that and you do maybe skip a step in that process. But that's fine because you're adding a guy that's super high-level player. You know, in, in that regards. Now, listen, we both we all know Minnesota's probably not going to move him and is just laughing at this whole unhappy thing or whatever. But like if an interesting offer comes, maybe Minnesota's got to entertain it because let's they're going nowhere as a franchise. I mean, what's I mean, you know, you got to give it time with with Rosas and and Saunders, but it's also like they started out hot and then they've come back to earth. And I'm I'm curious how long. You know, until patience wears thin with these guys and, you know, Wiggins is, isn't what he was. And I know he's been injured a little bit and all that stuff. But, it's, you know, that's kind of coming down a bit like you wonder if there's an opportunity if you're the Hawks, like to to snag a guy like that. And in the East, you kind of need a big guy like Towns, you know, now because, you know, odds are, you know, you're going to contend with Giannis this year, next year, you know, and, and who knows in the future you haven't beat in the East. Like it's you're, you're going to kind of need a big guy like that, I think. And bam, we got to add him into that thing like you're going to start needing a big guy like that i don't know if john collins is the guy so you know maybe they should start trying to poke a poke around a little bit well let me know when carl anthony towns dunks over an airplane and then i'll then i'll get excited guys talking about erectile dysfunction is not easy usually we just brush it off or blame ourselves saying things like i lost my mojo or we avoid it altogether with excuses like i've had a long day at work or sorry honey i'm just not feeling it But with Roman, it's easy to talk about. With a real doctor who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The doctor will work with you to find the best treatment plan, see if medication is appropriate, and if so, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and very discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash back-to-back. That's B-A-C-K-T-O-B-A-C-K for a complete online visit. 
Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a doctor and take care of it. So go to Roma.com slash back-to-back, get a free online visit, and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash back-to-back for a free visit to get started. GetRoman.com slash back-to-back. Uh, okay, uh, let's do one more. Last one. Um, because, you know, it's beginning of January, trade deadline, a little over a month away, like six weeks. Uh, so it's, you know... We're in the, the middle of trade season. So what are some moves? Like, give me, like, your favorite move uh, that a team could make. I mean, obviously, totally hypothetical. Let's not worry about the money stuff. Um, but, you know, world is your oyster. Uh, realistic move that, that a contender could make that, like, would put them over to the top. Relocating to Seattle? No, that's not what you mean. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you're welcome to move there anytime, Seth. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, g- give me one. Go ahead, Mo. I'm sure you got one. I got one. Um, I kind of would like to see Drew Holiday in Denver. I think Ooh. that that'd be an interesting one. I think a deal around and I, I you know, we're all this is all hypothetical and, and all that stuff. But a, a deal around like Gary Harris, uh, Michael Porter, Jr., and whatever else you need to, to, to get holiday. But I, you know, I, when you have a chance to win a championship, it's not a lot. Yeah. Like if, if that's going to get you to the finals, it's not a lot. It's worth it. It's the same, same thing where the Lakers gave up a ton to get AD and everybody's like, that's a lot. I'm like, yeah, but if you win a championship this year, are you really going to say that's a lot? Like that's, that's the point, right? Like they're a team I think that needs that. I, I just, when I look at that roster, I just don't see that that extra push that, that like, I think holiday kind of puts them over the top. And I think, you know, Gary Harris, Michael Porter jr. Um, or, or Malik Beasley or whatever, you can come around to it. But I think holiday kind of puts them to that level where they're on the, on the level with the, the Lakers and the Clippers, who I think are the two teams in the, in the West, everybody's kind of expecting in the conference finals. It seems to me that like the two, there's like the two pieces that are out there that are, you know, the the playoff swing pieces are Holiday and Bertans, right? Yeah. It's it's kind of hard. You know, you look around rosters and it's just really hard to see like, okay, if you really like Fournier and right. you talk, him, talk yourself into him as a playoff difference maker and expiring contract, yada, 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 then maybe you could – maybe he's available kind of uh, reasonably. Uh, but I don't think – I don't – I don't know. I'm you're you're a bigger fan of of, of his game than I am. Um, He's so, having a better season uh, than CJ McCollum right now. Yeah, but that's you know he you know he's you know, a guy is making every shot. So yeah, yeah, you know, and sometimes guys do that for the whole season. I, yeah. I just think that there are teams that he would be a big upgrade for. Uh, so my my move is also Denver. Like if I if I was just you know could do whatever. Um, it, it, this obviously relies on Toronto deciding to blow it up, but. I think Kyle Lowry in Denver would be better than Drew Holiday. I think that like that's the kind of guy. I mean, it it goes to to most point. Like you need a guy who like got a little bit of dog in him. I think Kyle Lowry's that guy. Um, you know, he could be a swing piece. What about? Uh, do you guys think that there's a a team that might just say, you know, I'm not worried about 
the the next couple years of Chris Paul's contract? Like, let's just take him and take a swing. I don't know if the Thunder are going to move him this year. I, I hope they don't. I really am loving like the Oklahoma City Thunder are kind of fun to watch, you know, and Chris I mean, Paul's I mean, a big part of it. I mean, you know, the cool thing, like watching the uh, the Raptors, their, their win against the Raptors, like, you know, everybody was very nervous when Chris Paul got there in the summer going like, man, it's really going to stunt uh, Shea's, oh Shea Gilgis-Alexander's yeah. growth and all that stuff. But, man, you're looking at it and it's like – He's really done a good job mentoring the kid. And and like right after the game, like Shay and him are kind of reliving the the Shay's kind of go ahead bucket. And it's like, you know, it was kind of that stuff. And you just see that like there was a there's a, a leadership kind of thing. And 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 it's been fun for me to watch this. Obviously, I'm a, a big Chris Paul guy, you know, for obvious reasons. But like it's been fun to kind of see this from Chris finally being a, a, around a group of guys that don't mind that he's a little bit of a prick. Um, and, and, and he gets to kind of talk to these guys and, and they seem to be accepting of it and, and it's fun. So I actually don't think OKC will move him. If they do, I think it'd be in the off season. I just think they're having, they're having a good run right now. And, and similar to the way we talk about Houston, not really having to go through a real rebuild. You know, this is an opportunity for the thunder to kind of make the playoffs in a year where we <laughs> might make the playoffs. I mean, they're the seven seed now, right? Like, I mean, it's it's January one. I mean, they're right there, so it's not like that's really out of the realm of possibility for them. And I think it's it's. I just don't think there's a reason for them to make that move. If they trade somebody, it's going to be a guy like Alan Ari because they don't think they'll be able to re-sign him in the summer, and they want to get an asset for him. But that's about it. Like, I just don't, I just don't think Chris is going anywhere. You know, that's funny. Uh, is Seth is Gallo a swing piece to you? Like, is is he a guy who? You know, if the uh, I don't know, the Lakers wouldn't get him, but uh, you know, if the Bucks got him, is that like okay? They're, which now they're te- which of the t- which team is he? Is, is he which of the like the contending level teams does he fill a hole for? Like, I think as a level of player, he could be a swing piece. It's just for which of those teams? Like, you know, Denver has Millsap, right. then Milwaukee has Giannis, uh, Philly has Horford, Simmons, whoever. Uh, Lakers have AD, Clippers have have uh, Paul I mean, George, he, he, Kawhi, he, Paul, yeah, yeah, Paul yeah. George, Kawhi, yeah. So, <laughs> you know, you know, which of those? Like, if you want to, like, would he be a useful addition for Utah? If you want to throw Utah yeah. into that. Into what that mix, Miami? okay. Is he, well, is he an upgrade for them? I mean, he could play next to Bam. Bam's yeah, he could play. Out. He played, he, but they're like, yeah. what's their like? Their best lineup is basically their best lineup. Probably has the Winslow at the four. Yeah, right. Right. And may, so maybe maybe that is like maybe you know that their best lineup pushes like none to the bench and and you get like Bam Gallinari, uh, um, uh, uh, Winslow and two of the guards, you know, whoever it is. I mean, I guess they've been, I mean, they've been closing games with Derek Jones Jr. So um, that's a very different style of player yeah. than, than the Gallinari, yeah. obviously. So, do, you, um, do you guys think it's going to be a quiet, so do you guys think it's going to be a quiet, like lead up to the deadline? Like there's so many guys just signed contracts last I mean, summer. We're talking I, I about, we're talking about Carl Anthony Towns already. Right. So that's, I think that's, <laughs> yeah. a, I think that's an, that's an indication of, of that. There's might not be like the, that feels very wish fulfillment. basically that, that the town stuff has come out of New York and golden state. So I don't right. just, yeah. that means that doesn't means I don't feel there's a lot of, yeah. of uh, fire to the smoke. 
Um, I, the one, I mean, the obvious, the, the obvious, I'll get back to the, like, like the trade that got, I feel like got talked about a lot preseason um, that hasn't for whatever reason, probably because Indiana has been pretty good is somehow getting uh, Miles Turner to Boston. Yeah. I think that would be, that's, that's obviously interesting, well, interesting one. Boston, Boston has managed to be good defensively yeah. with their, yeah. Uh, I mean, Steve Stevens is doing a great job, you know, coaching those guys up, but they just have like in a playoff series. I just they. I, oh yeah, yeah. But you know, Embiid would just. Sure. You know, but but right. for a regular season, you know, I, I think that yeah, they they probably need to make a move like like for, with the playoffs in mind. But they've I think they've just been better than we anticipated in the middle, um, and, and I think that's part of why. I also I don't think Indiana. Like they haven't seen this team healthy yet, you know, with yeah. Oladipo, and it's actually it's starting to work better with Sabonis and Turner. They, you know, they still probably are never really going to fit well, um, but Sabonis has been so damn good this year. Uh, I mean, it completely has changed my opinion on him. I, I didn't, I just didn't know that he was going to do what he's done. Um, and you know. Brogdon's been great, but I'd argue Sabonis has been their most important player. Um, and uh, so I don't, I don't know. Like Miles Turner, I don't know if they're going to move him. I think this summer is going to be busy for trades. I'll throw, I'll, I'll throw it a, I'll throw a, a weird like before, before you guy do who so. could be a swing piece out. Yeah, go ahead. Before you do that, so, the one to go back to your question, Dave, as to like, do we think there's going to be a lot of moves? I just think it's one of those things where there's all these teams have holes. But they don't have a way to fill it. Like, you know, if you're Boston and you need a big man, you're not moving Marcus Smart, right? Or like, like to get, I don't think they will. And not I think to, to get, get just the, anybody, but if they but get, to, yeah. But to get like a, a, a real piece back, like that's the guy that you got to move, right? Like uh, the Clippers, there's a lot, you know, like they might move Mo Harkless, but he plays such a big role for them. And I think there was, they might've been interested at the start of the year, possibly doing it, but he's played himself into a role that has become very valuable for them. I don't know if that's something they do. Like, it's just like every team I look at, I'm like, yeah, but I don't see, you know, Houston, if they're going to move somebody, are they going to move Capella? Like, cause they can't trade Gordon cause of the extension, you know, but their small ball lineups terrible. They need Capella. Like you can't really replace him. And it's just like every team I look at when I'm like, is there a possible trade for them? I'm like, they need to get something. But most of these teams don't have the avenue to get a piece. I feel like that would really swing it for them. Let me throw one more thing out uh, at you guys, and then and then we'll wrap. But uh, I cut Seth off too, so let let Seth. Oh yeah, let, yeah. Go let, ahead, let Seth. both Fin-finish of you guys do your thought. thing. Finish that thought. No, just, just a guy who who might add something like a little bit of punch to a playoff team, and this is this is is, is Derek Rose. Yeah, I think Derek Rose could, the- could definitely get get moved. Yeah, and that's you know he's he's he you know he's got he's signed for next year, but it's a reasonable number, so seven and a half million next year, and like a guy who um, has has been pretty good this year when he's been healthy and in a kind of a a kind of a bench dynamism change of pace get to the basket role, like could the Lakers use Derrick Rose? Thinking the Lakers, yeah, yeah. And, and by the way, it, now the Spurs are probably not going to do anything because they just don't, but if they do. Patty Mills is that guy. I think Patty Mills would be the most, probably the most valuable guy for for one of the contenders um, of anybody. Like he would. I'd be rather a, I'd rather the Lakers go after Patty Mills than Rose because the guy the Lakers need is almost the anti Derrick Rose. Right. Um, I, I the 
They need another shot creator so that when LeBron goes to the bench and then when LeBron's in the game, if that guy's going to be on the court, he needs to be able to be a catch and shoot guy. And I think that's kind of Patty Mills more than Rose. Like Rose is going to add some scoring pop for them, but he's not going to get them, you know, when he's not going to be a shot creator for them all that much off the bench or anything like that. So for me, I think that's why I'm not a big fan of the idea of Rose to the Lakers. I don't think he's the right guy for them. Whereas I think a guy like Patty Mills kind of just slides in perfectly for them. Again, I have no idea how they get there and how they get the guy. If, and, and, and even if they're available, even if Mills is available, but like, that's the type of guy I would look at if I was, if I were the Lakers more than Derek Rose. Okay. Who I, is I, anyone I think gonna... I, I... Go ahead. No, I think I, I would go the like for the second time this podcast. I would go the exact opposite of Mo. I think that just again, having seen the Lakers of like a few times, like uh, including in person recently, just like needing to upgrade the dynamism of that Rondo spot. And I, I don't think another guy who's going to dribble around the perimeter and shoot jump shots is. I think they they need one more guy who can get into the paint. And like Rose isn't, you know, he's 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 not like a super high level playmaker at this point, but I think he is decent enough at that. And just again, a guy who's not going to get stuck pounding the hell out of the ball on the perimeter, looking for a jumper. Like, I think that they need one more guy who can do that, but that's not, but that's not what I'm saying. But see, I think they need a guy that can help get, make it easier for Davis when he's in the second unit off the court with LeBron. The Lakers are terrible when LeBron's off the court and Davis is on. I think they're like an, uh, uh, minus six, uh, net rating. I know you've railed against net rating. Sorry. Um, but like, you know, that's a, that's a reason, that's a reasonable use of it. Yes, I did it. Yeah. Great. Congratulations, Mo. Um, and then I think, you know, and I think they need to find a way that the challenges with that is being able to get the ball to Davis and then being able to go from there. I think getting into the paint, I think, you know, they have guys in flashes like, you know, Kuzma's not consistent, but he does a pretty good job of that. I think Rose has a tendency to really get tunnel vision. You know, every time I've watched him, you know, I just feel like he he, he kind of just locks into like, okay, I just got to go score. Now, if they just want scoring off the bench, that's one thing, but I don't think that's what this team needs more than they need another guy that can play make. And I don't think Rose is that guy. I just don't see it. And, I, and, and Mills, at least, you know, when he's on the court with, with the big guys or, or with the starting unit or whatever, he can at least space the floor, which Rose wouldn't be able to do. I think that's, that's really what I'm looking at. And in, in, in terms of when I see them, whenever they're, whenever I'm at the games and, and LeBron goes to the bench, I'm just like, man, who's, you know, we all agree. Rondo ain't the guy that's going to be able to do that for them, you know, and, and it, it's a, it's a pain to watch. So you kind of got to find that a guy that's a little bit better than, than Rondo in that degree. And I think that's where you get the upgrade with, with Mills. I just, I just, you know, we're just going to agree to disagree to start the new year. We're already had two fights. Yeah. Seth. Uh, well, okay, I think wait, we, wait. I think we agree we agree on the on the the general problem. I think we just yes. we are offering different treatments for the disease. Okay, before we wrap, I want to just throw one name out there. Uh, is anyone going to bite on Russell Westbrook? Is no, it, I, I think I think there's no way. Just a set. Yeah, yeah. I, I think yeah. okay, that's it. All right, good. As long as we all agree on that one. <laughs> uh, that's a great way to end the show. But I also um, don't think they're going to, but I also don't think they're in any, I don't think they're going to move him. I don't think they have any plans to, they need to see it out for the year. It looks bad for Harden. If they've run out three guys, if he's run out three guys already at this point, like it's, it's a bad look. Well, I don't for think him. this is about him running anybody out. It's about, you know, does it work on the court? 
you know, I mean, it's, it's not been terrible to be honest. Like they're not, they're not bad. I mean, it's just, you know, it'll, it'll be a little better when they get Eric Gordon back and, and, and get healthy and get, see, see how all that stuff works. But he has them playing at a faster pace. He has them moving a little more. It's just that it's that time when they go to the isolation ball and, and that really becomes the issue. All right, that's it for the the New Year's mailbag. Uh, Thank you guys for listening, and we will be back next week with another episode of Nerd or She Wrote.